Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the anatomy of a liturgical worship service. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so the order of the service. Has it always been this way? Has it always been the same order since time immemorial? Kind of, sort of, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. But it's so cool, so I'm going to totally nerd out on this Please podcast. do. So, we begin back in the early, early, early Christian church, before it was legal, before things had really, really been established, right? And before there were bishops, before any of that. And you hear the description of the gathering of the saints, and they gather together, they hear the story, they share in the meal, and then they go and they serve. They take the leftovers out to other people, and they go and they serve each other. Okay. So the general order of service was gathering, word, meal, sending. Okay. And is this because they already had the concept from the Jewish faith, or is this something that they're like, is just kind of the way it goes? I think it's a both and. Okay. Liturgical scholars could correct me. Okay. But what I know is that it was really, really ancient, really rooted Right? Sure. This is how the community did this. It's logical. It makes sense. Right. And they would gather and they would pray and they would share. They would read letters from Paul mm-hmm. back to their community. They would tell the story of Jesus. Right. So the things that became our Bible are the things even that they would be reading. So it really matches even more directly than we think sometimes. If you were not a baptized member of the community... You would leave after the word. Oh, you could not have the meal. Mm-mm. No. Stands to reason that's how the Catholics play it today. Exactly. So they maintain that, mm-hmm. right? Because, and I may have said this on the podcast before, I'm not sure, but the charges that the Romans would get Christians on, mm. do you remember what mm. they are from any of the classes I've taught? The two main charges were incest and cannibalism. The cannibalism, I would have guessed, but not the incest. Uh Uh-huh. Because the opening of the meal section begins with the peace of Christ be with you. Let us share a sign of Christ's peace with one another. And it was the brotherly, sisterly kiss of peace. Oh, are you kidding me? (laughs) Nope. Talk about nitpicky, bureaucratic BS. Come on. I know, in a Roman time. That's like getting, you know, Capone on tax evasion. I mean, for <laughs> real. So so that's where the service splits. Mm-hmm. That's where you send the people who are not baptized out, is you have the prayers of the people. Let me think through it, though. You have the hymn of the day, and then we have the creed prayers of the people, and then the passing of the peace. So people passing leave the peace was after the hymn of the day. Oh, interesting. Before we profess our faith in the words of the creed. Huh. There was not much of that service they were there for. They were there for the opening greeting, right? So you have your opening greeting and a prayer of the day where you have your opening prayer. Maybe you have hymns uh-huh. that you sing, and then the lessons and the sermon Right, the preaching. Uh-huh. 
and then a closing hymn about all of that, and then they go. Okay. Right? Because none of that is illegal. The story's weird, but it's not illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. But then after that, you profess a faith that talks about... This is where the sharing of the peace comes. Right. Okay. You profess your faith in the words of the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed. Now that's coming, you know, a little while later. Later. Mm-hmm. A little, not a ton later, still within the first centuries. But that Apostles' Creed is pretty old. But that creed comes in and then you have prayers of the people where you pray for the whole community. So more members of the community would be revealed who is included within that. Then you have that passing of the peace and sharing the kiss of peace. And then you have the meal because there's really not much left, right? Once Mm -hmm. you get to that point, what's left is those prayers, that passing of the peace, that meal, and then you're sent out to do the work. Mm -hmm. So the whole anatomy of a service boils down to those four major sections. And within those four major sections are all kinds of little bits and pieces of that section. And bridging you from section to section are prayers. Okay. Are those prayers that are already written or do they get written each week for each service? Great question. In our tradition now in the 21st century, some of those prayers are pre-written. Okay. And they are called the propers for the Mm. day. Okay. And proper just means that it's something that goes along with the liturgical day. So when we say liturgical or liturgy, we're talking about a lot of different things which can get really confusing. Uh-huh. So the liturgy, the word liturgy means the work of the people. Okay. That's what the word liturgy means. And so it's not the work of the pastor. It's not the work of God. It's the work of the people. Okay. That make the liturgy happen. So the propers are pieces that are prescribed as we honor the liturgical calendar days. Okay. So we go back to that podcast from like, good heavens, many years moons. ago now. And that liturgical calendar, we look at that, and so the prayer of the day, or the collect, as it can be called, collects us in together, Mm -hmm. and is a pre-written prayer. I use the ones printed in the front of the hymnal. Okay. And that means that all over the country... People are using the same one? Precisely. Aww. On the same day. It's like the McDonald's of prayers. (laughs) And so... What it does is it collects our hearts in a group, in a kind of a uniform, let's enter into this day with this idea, with this concept, and let's be of one mind as we head into this, and not just one mind within our walls, but across our denomination. Sure. And again, as people who've been listening will know, I love that deeper connection, that it's not just about the people in my pews sitting here in front of me, but it's a larger church. Uh And so that proper, the prayer of the day, that moves us from the gathering time into the word, focuses us from basically saying, here we are, we showed up, thanks God for getting us here, now here's the topic we're going to focus on today. Mm -hmm. Thanks God, you're great, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Next. Next. And the next thing you do is you move on to the readings. And you have your readings from the lectionary. So it's all part and parcel of how things kind of flow along. So you have then your sermon and your hymn of the day. And then the next thing that happens are the prayers of the people. So those are your bridge 
into your next section. So from the gathering, you have the prayer of the day to bridge you to the word. From the word, you have the prayers of the people to bridge you to the meal. And the prayers of the people, we could even do an entire podcast just on those, have traditionally different things that they focus on, the different petitions. Uh And they're broad and they're specific. They're both of those things. And so the prayers of the people take the word that we have just heard, the lesson that we have just heard, and move us into being strengthened through the table and the meal. At least in this church, those prayers of the people seem to be topical and weekly. Yes, and in this congregation, they are written by the assisting minister. Mm. So our assisting ministers write them the week that they are serving, Mm -hmm. and then I do my additionals extemporaneously. Mm -hmm. So mine are not pre-written on that. Many congregations use the ones that are written in the Sundays and Seasons that Augsburg Fortress prints. How far ahead of time are those printed? A year. A year? Okay. Mm -hmm. So those are pre-written by a year. Fallback position, as it were. Yeah. And you can take them and tweak them. You know, you could use those as your bones and then add stuff in. In this congregation, it's always been the assisting minister's responsibility, and they write between three and five petitions. Okay. And typically let me know how many they've written before we go into worship. So the pause isn't too lengthy. (laughs) So I kind of have an idea. Exactly. (laughs) So the prayers of the people then move you into the meal, and then you have the whole meal section, and, Mm -hmm. and you can dig down into all the different little puzzle pieces of the meal and how that is presented. But the prayer then that moves you from the table into the sending is the post-communion prayer. Mm -hmm. And that post-communion prayer then says, thank you for the gifts that you have given us through this table. Strengthen us for service as you send us out. And then the next thing we do is the sending, which Mm -hmm. in this congregation is where we put our announcements. Mm -hmm. Because that's where we live our faith in the world. Instead of up front in the beginning. Instead of up front in the beginning. I kind of like it at the end. I'm down with that. I like it liturgically. I like it within the work of the people and within the meaning of it. Sure. I think it actually fits really well. If the announcements were just, you know. So-and-so's birthday. So-and-so's, you know, I mean, I guess it's work of the people too, but there's so much in this congregation that is, we're taking an action here. We have an opportunity to be an advocate here. We have all the things that our announcements are so often Here are real concrete ways for you to put your faith in action this next week. And I think that that's really a strong sense of what the sending time is about. Sure. And so the sending happens and we're sent out with a benediction. So we covered that it's sort of logical. Is there ever an instance where you would want to change the order of this? For lots of folks, this isn't logical. Really? Really. Other denominations do not necessarily go in this order. Do you have a for instance? Go to a Baptist church. (laughs) Okay. Attend a Baptist church. Their sermons are at the end. Oh, okay. Build up to a big bang? I guess. It's just a different way. It feels very different to me in other traditions. And if they don't have communion or how they move things around, it's all varies by different denominations. Liturgical traditions. Uh Uh-huh are ones that follow this gathering word meal sending. And that's Catholic, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, to varying levels of strictness. Mm-hmm. See, that's most of the different types of churches that I have visited. Uh-huh. 
So freeform, non-denominational, they don't necessarily follow this pattern. Huh. I'm trying to imagine what that service would be like and Orthodox, if I would get anything out of it. Orthodox really follow it. Yeah. Even more so than Lutherans. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because this is the ancient way of worship and they haven't changed it over the centuries. They still do it in the original Greek. As a Lutheran, are you allowed to change it up? Would you even want to? Yes, you can. I tend to not want to. I do play fast and loose with it sometimes. Okay. So my playing fast and loose with it is that if the flow of service still follows gathering word meal sending, I still count that as liturgical. Okay. So an example would be a funeral service that I did outside of the church tradition. And they wanted some churchy stuff, but not obviously churchy stuff. Makes sense. Okay. And so I gathered us in and I called everybody together and to come and sit in the same area. Uh So there's your gathering and lit some candles to say we're here in this space together now. So there's a prayer to lead us into the storytelling of this individual's life. Sure. There's your word. And we told the story. And then I told a story of like a promise. I didn't blatantly talk about Jesus, but I talked about the promise of presence and the promise of grace and the promise of hope. Mm -hmm. And then gave an activity for people to come and to take something out of a bowl to take with them, to hold on to. So there was my prayer of the people Uh to move us towards where everyone got up and went over and had food together in the reception, right? Which is the meal. And then we all cleaned up together and we went back out into the world, which was the sending. So even though it was at no point clearly and obviously liturgical, I absolutely thought through it in a way to create that same flow because that flow works in the rhythm of our hearts. And especially in times of grief, Mm -hmm. that flow works in the rhythm of our souls to tell us that we have done something that has been holy. And so I think that you can play fast and loose with what you define as prayer, with what you define as sharing the word, with what you define as sharing the meal, with what you define as sending people out. I think you can play fast and loose with the individual little pieces, the little part of the sursum corda or the lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord, that part, right? The little tiny pieces within the liturgy that are all there for really good reason. I think you can play fast and loose if you understand what their purpose and their role is. Mm -hmm. If you think that the passing of the peace, not that this is a bad thing to think, But if you think that the passing of the peace is just the opportunity to say hello to the person north, south, east, west. Get up and walk around for a little if you're so inclined. Totally, right? If that's what you think it is, then you miss the incredibly rich opportunity that is what it's really about. The purpose of the passing of the peace, not the the kiss of peace that got people arrested and killed. Uh People were killed for this moment in the worship service. It's the moment when you reestablish community with one another before you share the meal. It's the moment where you look at each other and say, I'm in this life or death with you. That is not ever (laughs) what has gone through my head as I do the piece at any point at any church I've ever been to. It never crossed my mind that ages ago somebody actually died 
mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. That is mind-blowing. Right? It's an incredibly powerful moment. And the power of that moment to try to find reconciliation with people. If I'm really, really angry at you and I don't want to do this thing that could get me killed with you, then yeah, I need to come up and I need to figure out how to reconcile with that before we go to the table together. Because if we haven't figured out how to be the body of Christ together, if we don't know how to do this work together, then you could go turn me in. Mm -hmm. And I could be dead next week. Because you're so pissed off at me and you saw me here. So it's that opportunity to find reconciliation. It's that opportunity to build community and to really learn how to trust one another with sacred and holy things. And so if you understand that's the purpose of that moment, then you can do that however you want to do that in a worship service. As long as the objective is being met. Can you build community in that moment? Can you help people to see one another in that moment? How you do that could be completely different than how they did it in first century Palestine, right? Mm -hmm. Right? But it's an important piece. So I can play fast and loose with how I do things Mm -hmm. as long as I understand what the reason of it is. See, I sort of figured that within each of those... There are bits and pieces, like if you really didn't have time or mm-hmm. want to, you don't mm-hmm. have to read two lessons of the You're day. Right. Totally. The psalm can be or come not be. Mm-hmm. The creed and whatever prayers mm-hmm. can come and not go. But yeah. the confession can some come Some of go. it, do you always have to have the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> That's going to be a no. <laughs> Actually, that one, if you have the meal, should be a yes. Oh, Okay. So if you skip the meal, you can skip the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it shouldn't. You shouldn't. <laughs> I'm going to come back and say no on that because if you have okay. a service of the word, the Lord's Prayer still is still it. in it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a deal breaker. And that comes back with whenever you gather, pray these words. Like, oh, This is how you can okay. pray. And so even when you're out doing visits or things like that, oftentimes the Lord's Prayer will come back up. But you can play with the translation. Because we're not exactly, we're not speaking Aramaic. We're not praying the exact words that Jesus prayed. We're we're not married to the King James Version. We're praying a translation anyway. So go ahead and let the translation be what it is. But the intention of the words, the intention of it, being present is a good thing. And one of the exercises I love to do when I arrive with a congregation now, and I just think it's fascinating is to really teach this. And I have a course, an adult education course with handouts, puzzle pieces, and here's how the liturgy goes, and all the tiny little pieces that go along in the different parts of the gathering. and Because you can really drill down and you can find all kinds of tiny little pieces that go uh-huh. in there. And then tell people to get into groups or on their own. And if you can only pick six items out of the 25 that are open to you, what are your six? That if you don't have them present in a worship service, you do not feel like you have been to worship. I feel like I remember one of these many moons ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there going, wow, I am either not observant or something because I didn't even realize that we hadn't been doing something. But for somebody else in the room, that was a stickler. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. fascinating. And it's so interesting to see what a congregation comes up with. And it can tell you so much, especially if you're able to leave your own bias out of it. Uh It can tell you as the liturgical planner, 
And as the worship planner, it can tell you a ton about your congregation. So one congregation might say confession has to be there every single week or I have not been to worship. Hmm. And another congregation's like, uh, do we have to do confession? Like, what, what is confession again? Uh-huh. Right? And so it's really telling, I think. One congregation might be like, nope, we have to have all four lessons every single week. Wow. And another lessons. is like, nope, only the lesson that's going to be preached on should be in there. Man, I tell you, with my Catholic upbringing, for me, whenever I went to service and there wasn't communion, I was like, wait. You can do that? Mm-hmm. That's the one mm-hmm. where if there's communion, it feels like I've been to church. Mm-hmm. But if there's not, mm-hmm. meh. Yep. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a wonderful exercise for people to enter into to figure out what it is about worship that really does matter to them. And then to maybe learn more and drill down more about what is it about that piece that matters? What is that doing within the liturgical piece? What does that do in what's called the ordo? So there's the Latin word for all of this stuff is mm-hmm. the ordo. And that's the order of worship. So to really drill down and to dig into what part of the ordo is it that really feeds your spiritual soul and what are its roots and what are its reasons. So if you really have liked the passing of the piece for some reason and it's really mattered to you, then to learn what I talked about earlier can give you more of a depth of understanding for that. Mm-hmm. If what you really love are the hymns, understanding how the hymns play in and where they fit and why they fit where they do and how they participate. Because the hymns are different than the liturgical music. Oh, yes, they are. And we'll talk more next week about the liturgical settings and how that differs from the hymnody. Because it's very different. And you could have a service with no liturgical music you could have a service hymns you could have a service with only hymns you could have a service with no hymns and only liturgical music you could have a service of only spoken word but what would that be like Mm -hmm. and like actually taking the time to ponder through that for me i didn't start thinking about this until i attended a worship service at glide memorial in san francisco okay and they don't follow the ordo at all? At all. And so at the end of the service, I'm like, but what? I Now I have to find another church and actually attend a service? Well, we were going to anyway, but <laughs> it just, like, it was a good time. But it didn't feel like worship to me because I'm so accustomed to the pattern. Huh. And that's when I needed to stop and take a look at, okay, well, then what's stopping me from experiencing this as worship? Because this is worship. This is a totally beautiful form of worshiping. It's legit. It's legit. I just didn't experience it that way. So how can I experience it that way? How do I translate it? When we were leading worship in the park with the historically African-American congregations, and I think it was our second year doing this together, they had an altar call at the end of the service, and I had never participated in an altar call before. And we had this, and all the clergy were expected to be up at the altar for the altar call. What is an altar call? It's a point in time when people are invited to come forward to receive prayer. Okay. And when I was listening to the prayers, I thought at first that it was seeking conversion only. Hmm. But that wasn't what it was about. It was the opportunity 
when I started to hear and listen, it was the prayers of the people. Mm. And once I could translate it into something I understood, then I'm like, oh, altar calls are about the prayers of the people. It's just in a totally different location Mm -hmm. in the worship service. And it looks completely different. But again, drilling down to the purpose of what it is, that's what this is serving as. It's praying for the world. It's praying for individuals. Mm -hmm. It's praying for healing. It's praying for our government. It's the prayers of the people. Okay, now I'm in. And I could translate it and figure it out Mm -hmm. and could enter into it with integrity. So if you have not kind of spent time with those pieces and understanding what they're really about, looking at that anatomy and why the heart does what it does, it's hard to then step into other places of worship and find ways to enter in with integrity. But if you can look at it as more than just, these are the words we say and we say them because this is what we should say. Uh And therefore, if I'm not saying these things, then I'm not worshiping. If you can look at the purpose for it, then worship can really open up and blossom. Fascinating. Okay, that leads me to the last question. Which part is your favorite? (laughs) I suggested this question. (laughs) And it's such a hard question for me. I think it depends on... It really depends on the day, and it depends on my own state of spirit. It's not just the sending because that's the end? No, it's (laughs) certainly not the sermon. (laughs) It is so not the sermon. I love the hymn of the day. Either the moments when I am a part of the congregation as well. Mm -hmm. So when we're singing the hymn of the day, or when we're doing confession and I step back into the congregation Mm -hmm. and I'm a part of the congregation instead of leading the congregation. There's the apostolic greeting that I do at the beginning, which is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the community of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh And the congregation responds and also with you. And it's this moment where it doesn't feel as much like I'm the leader of the service. It feels like a greeting to people that I love and a response back And so I love that moment. So any moment where I'm more a part of the congregation and less the leader, sure, I think really stirs in my heart. I love the passing of the peace. I love receiving communion. And I love serving communion. I love serving communion. It's really awesome. Presiding is good, but serving is awesome. Uh Right? Sure. (laughs) I think it's... So it's really interesting, and it depends on the day, how much I can be in worship and how much I'm concerned about other pieces. Sure. I'm focused on other things and fully present but not relaxed when I can really rest in the worship service and when I'm really focused on like, oh, that's one more announcement I need to make sure has to happen. Yeah, those moments when I get to be a part of the congregation, they're pretty awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the liturgy. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. And if you would like to geek out more on this topic with me, feel free to contact. You can reach out at podcast at centralportland.org or check in on Facebook. We love hearing from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs>